0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at
1: dts.edu slash the table.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB blends accuracy and readability, giving pastors a translation they can trust and lay people a Bible they can enjoy. Find out more at csbible.com.
1: So when I was in college, my freshman year, I really, my freshman year, I started recognizing that I didn't necessarily believe the gospel because
0: I actually believed it. Sebastian Traeger is the executive vice president and chief operating officer at the International Mission Board. He's also a seasoned entrepreneur, having helped found Five Street Incorporated, Razoo, Christianity.com, and more. In 2014, he published a book called The Gospel at Work, How Working for King Jesus Gives Purpose
1: and Meaning to Our Jobs. And so I started reading and thinking by God's grace. I, I, I Because I kind of consider myself a Christian, I ended up going on a Campus Crusade Beach Project crew. And during that time, during that summer, a roommate of mine said, hey, I noticed you never you never read your Bible in the morning. Is that something you think is important? And I said, well, it is, but I'm not a morning person. And so it's really hard for me to get up. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you pray the night before you go to sleep that the spirit will help you wake up, then I'll physically help you wake up. And I thought, well, that's kind of a hard deal to pass up. So So really over the course of the next six weeks, I read the Bible, pretty much the whole, the the majority of the Bible over a very short amount of time. Also, I was working on a golf course. And so I listened to sermon tapes nonstop mm-hmm. during the day because I was just mowing lawn. And so over the course of about six or eight weeks, God just completely transformed my heart and my life. I don't have a, this moment, this one night, this thing happened. I just have more of a testimony of, yeah, God clearly made the gospel make sense to me. And I would say for the first time, I'd say my spirit was enlivened by it. And I mm. truly believed. And I started living like a Christian. The biggest marker of that was I I went back to some of my high school friends after that summer. And I still remember this one night at a diner mm. where for about four hours, I just talked to them about God's work in my life in the gospel. And they were just like, who is this person? We don't even recognize him. Mm. I went back to college for my sophomore year. I uh, went to my campus crusade director and said, I really want to start a Bible study. I want to lead a group. And then by God's grace through that group, we saw uh, some people come to faith and I discipled guys for my next three years through college and, and really just was very ministry minded from then on, yeah. I would say. Well, it's interesting.
0: Most people who would have been in a position like that would have been like, well, obviously you're passionate about the faith. You should go into ministry. You should go be a pastor.
1: Uh, did that ever cross your mind? I would say sure I think for every Christian who's serious about their faith and is doing ministry and seeing fruit to some extent it crosses their mind should I do this vocationally at the same time it, I never aspired to do vocational ministry and I always aspired to do quote secular work so for me it was yes of course there's some some you know option you consider there but I was mm. I was pretty passionate about being in the workplace as well I would say yeah and what do you want to do in the workplace well, I, what I would did you say, major in, uh, I majored in politics okay, and, uh, uh, mainly cause I, I wanted to be a lawyer my whole life growing up, mainly cause of a show called LA law. And you see kind of <laughs> classroom, uh, courtroom drama and people arguing. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I love arguing. I right. love being right. And so, so I interned at a law firm one summer, which I always give young people advice. If you ever want to, you think you want to do something, go spend some time trying it out a little bit and you might figure out other things out. So for me, I I basically interned at a law firm all summer. I fell asleep every single afternoon. Now looking back, <laughs> I didn't realize it's probably I just wasn't used to working eight-hour days and you get tired after lunch. Sure. But the good news was I just realized my brain didn't really work in paragraphs and, and in prose. It worked more in in bullet points and numbers. Yeah. And so that was a really helpful exercise for me that summer after my junior year to realize, wait a second, I think business is really my calling and yeah. and kind of the place I want to be. And you probably found that it was a
0: lot more... Filing, writing, researching than arguing in a
1: courtroom. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, obviously as a twenty-year-old, you're expecting to be like, I'm gonna be in the courtroom this summer. That's ridiculous anyway, terrible sure. expectation. But yeah, you just realize the mechanics of that job, even to get to that place, I just realize I don't really enjoy those mechanics all that much. It's just it's not really how my brain is wired. Yeah. And I'd I'd kind of rather think in, in different ways. There's a padwell him. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him. And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on. It seems to hustle leaves and the colours all around. Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know.
0: From Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosper, and on today's show, I talk to Sebastian about, well, faith and work. His career as an entrepreneur has been paralleled by his life with God, and throughout it, he's wrestled with how to keep them integrated and in perspective. We'll talk about all of that and much more, so stay with us.
1: You major in politics you get out what's major what's in like? politics get out my freshman year or my uh, my senior year and at, at Princeton it's great because a, a number of companies come and recruit and so I started uh, learned about what's called management consulting or strategy consulting which is effectively trying to bring uh, business best practices to companies. And so I started interviewing for some of those jobs, I got one and so I I worked at a strategy consulting firm out of college, effectively, I mean, obviously low man on the totem pole, but working with a team to help large companies solve their business problems. Hmm. And I found that just very, uh, very interesting and also just incredibly formative for understanding how business works, what the mm. what the drivers of business are, how to how to think think categorically, how to think uh, strategically, be analytical. How long were you there? I was there two years, okay. and uh, and that's pretty normal in, in kind of first job out of college, management consulting. It is a do it for two or three years, and then they want you to either go to business school or uh, go into industry. And so it was a it was just a great time for me. I I just wanted to do something more hands-on and something mm. more entrepreneurial. I'd say I was also probably a little more idealistic. And so I wanted to do something uh, that I kind of felt a little bit more strongly about. So what came next was I went and worked with a guy uh, and we started a company in El Salvador to deliver telecommunication services to the rural poor. Mm. So this was right at the beginning of using business as a tool for development. And so we wanted to Both create a profitable company and do it in a place where the people who were buying and consuming that product were also helped Mm -hmm. and where we were providing jobs. So, obviously, triple, quadruple bottom line, however you look at that, that was really the focus of that. And there's kind of a funny story how I got involved in that. My pastor one day said, Hey, I want to introduce you to someone who's doing some business stuff. Uh, And I said, Great, love to meet him. And because, you know, all business people are kind of the same to a pastor, they all, there's no differentiation. (laughs) It's just you don't do church work or teach, you do this other thing. So I went and met with him, and we had about a three-hour lunch, and I just gave him feedback on his ideas, and it was like, this is great. I love what you're doing. It sounds really neat. And this was on a Friday. And so on Sunday, he came up to me after church, and he said... Hey, uh, how'd, you, how'd you like our lunch? And I said, yeah, it was great. I love what you're doing. It sounds really cool. You know, I was just thinking, I was just talking to a guy about what he was doing. And he said, hey, um, I actually bought a ticket for you to go tomorrow to El Salvador with me to check it out. So do you want to come? And so I'm like 22 at the time. And I'm like, yeah. uh let me call my mom and get back to you. Cause I didn't really know who else to talk to about, about this. So, uh, yeah. So bottom line is the next day I, I was on a plane to El Salvador. So yeah. for those out there listening, who are trying to recruit young guys, don't, don't estimate, underestimate just buying a plane ticket and dragging them along with you somewhere as a way to kind yeah. of cast vision and get them on board.
0: Yeah. And it was from the beginning, it was, uh, I mean, I imagine your faith is informing the the motivations to do it the way that you did it and to, uh, to serve the poor
1: and and all of that? Absolutely. I would say, I would say yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, I would say by f- certainly my faith is influencing that and impacting that. I would say I still probably had a bit of a um, better to do things that seem more, you know, helping people than, quote just business i'd say i still didn't quite have a very good theology of work yeah uh, but i would say yeah absolutely i was motivated by that from faith from a faith perspective yeah did that for about a year and uh and really what changed was this was also simultaneously the the kind of the dot-com heyday the original dot-com heyday Mm -hmm. and uh if you remember the the you know Pets.com sock puppet day that those heydays. And late nineties. Yeah, late nineties. And me and a buddy had an idea to uh, had an idea that ended up being a really bad business idea, but we think a really good ministry idea. Mm. And that was we wanted to get sermons online. We wanted to become the Amazon.com of sermons effectively. Mm. And so during during me doing that company in El Salvador he and i were actually creating a business plan and raising money to do that and so it really just came down to two really really good options and just felt like all right i want to i want to pursue the internet thing i think that's the thing that'll be mm-hmm. you know more unique in the long run mm-hmm and that what was the name of the company Name of the company originally was lifeaudio.com okay. and uh, yeah our our big idea was let's get sermons online and and you know, I mean literally we're walking into people's offices and trying to explain what an mp3 is we had <laughs> very large mp3 players we would take with us and like stick down and, when, yeah. and just as a tip to people out there thinking about starting businesses if you're needing to explain the technology behind the consumer product that you're creating, you probably are a little bit too far. Uh, you're probably too early in the adoption curve to make it a real right. business. But we didn't know that at the time. We were so young. Yeah. We didn't really know what we were doing. But. Well, because there was
0: Napster, right? There were, there were MP3s were a thing, but it was kind of a subculture at the time. It, it
1: was MP3.com had just launched Yeah. Uh, Napster is pre-Napster. So even that was hadn't really? come come well, along yet. And, and so it was, it was kind of that very revolutionary time. There were no business models around MP3s. We were still talking about how we going to protect the content because obviously back then you could just rip a CD and email it around to anybody. And, sure. and everybody was, you know, nervous about what was going to happen. And so it was just very early days. Yeah. Streaming was barely a thing at the time. So even that was brand new. Right. So and you kind of res- had this, the resolutions
0: were really bad on streaming. And, yeah. Yeah.
1: Revolution. And, and just even the fact that we're talking about the technology behind it, you realize how early in a consumer life cycle it is, right? That yeah. we're still talking about. And even then we're like, okay, compression wise, how big a file do we need if we want right. it to get downloaded or all this? So, yeah. but it was, it was, it was really fun. And, and we actually built pretty sophisticated software. We actually built software that would create custom CDs. So mm. if you had a whole library of, sermons. The idea was imagine if you could burn a CD with the 10 best for you on one CD. And, uh, yeah, so I think obviously today we can say, yes, content's consumed all over the place digitally and churches are, uh, get content out all the time. It's just very early on in that cycle. Yeah. So how long did that last? Well, uh, by God's grace, I would say it lasted about two years in the first iteration. And, uh, we had to walk into our, um, then the entire dot-com world started to crash. Hmm. And so we had a team of about eight people, and I remember walking into them one day and saying, okay, everybody, I've got some good news and some bad news. First, the good news, you can all keep your jobs. Uh, now the bad news, we're not going to pay you anymore. And so <laughs> we, we, like many other dot-coms, basically, we're like, we just... We don't... You know, we had been talking for months to different people to try to get more investment, but everyone just kind of... By then, was just looking at it and saying, yeah, we're... We love you guys. We, we believe in what you're trying to do, but it just doesn't make any sense. And so we spent a couple of months just trying to figure out, you know, just basically three of us kind of stuck around. And uh, we, we kind of spent a few months trying to figure out what can we do with this. And providentially, we ended up, um, because everybody else was crashing at the same time, we strangely ended up in a... A little bit stronger position than some other folks. And so we ended up acquiring over the course of the next year, two different companies, one of which was went by the name Christianity.com. And so we rolled our technology and everything we were doing under that brand name, hmm. and then basically started rebuilding the company over the next three years. So I would say yeah. kind of iteration one was about two and a half years. Iteration two is about three years. Yeah. And so we built that all up under the umbrella of Christianity.com.
0: The financial model for the first one was, you know, you were selling content directly. Correct. Christianity.com was different, right? It was,
1: yeah. So our original business model was, let's be a consumer site, selling $1 sermons, turns out not necessarily uh, a business that you you can scale, at least back then it wasn't. And we then transitioned into more selling services to Christian organizations. So very similar to, say, a Christian radio station, we became kind of their online broadcasting station. And then we also sold software and services. So mm-hmm. Christian, Orton, this is, again, everybody's trying to figure out how to use the internet. Well, we can help you use it well to get your message out, to raise money. And so we would get paid effectively by our customers to help them use technology, mm-hmm. use the internet, and, and do that well. The whole kind of experience was about, I'd say from beginning Life Audio to, to exiting, we actually ended up selling the company, uh, was about five, five and a half years. So that was kind of through my 20s, was the latter half of my 20s yeah. doing that.
0: Talk to me about your, your faith in the midst of that, because I, when you're in ministry, when you're in ministry, one of the things that's hard to sustain is like an ordinary faith because it's what you're doing all the time. And so you're in a little bit of a different position, but you're surrounded by Christian content all the time. You're always looking at that stuff. What, what does faith look like in the middle of all of that? Was it, was it, was there burnout? Was there temptation to burn out just being around Christian culture and Christian subculture?
1: Yeah, I would say on a personal level, there's obviously just a lot of personal maturing going on anyway. When you're 25 to 30 and you're basically, yeah, by the end of our company, it's 30 people or so. And so you're just learning how to relate to people in the workplace, how to be aggressive mm-hmm. about wanting to succeed, but not do it in such a way that you're you're kind of steamrolling those other people. So there was just a ton going on in my own life, in my own maturity. And so I would say, setting aside the fact that it's kind of a Christian content kind of space that we're in, there's just all kinds of maturing going on, which I would just say is a lesson that, you know, years later, and I still continue to learn obviously, we tend to think that because we're in a particular industry, somehow that means our hearts are going to be better towards people. I just think that's false, and we have to reject that. We have to see that we can be doing very noble things in very ignoble ways, uh, and vice versa. The other thing I think I learned was that it it is hard, I think, working in a Christian environment to to realize you're not going to agree or be as excited about all of those ideas in exactly the same way, mm-hmm. and so uh, and so that was just helpful for me to see. Okay, there's a lot of people we partner with, and of course they're they're clear and they're preaching the gospel. But I'm more excited about this group than this group necessarily. And so just a recognition that actually that it starts to become more like a job over time. Um, and so just a, a realization that you know for folks who think. Going into a quote more Christian environment somehow is going to satisfy every emotional and uh, need that they have for joy in the workplace. That's probably false. You're probably going to. Or make it easier to,
0: to be a Christian, you know, to be. To, to, be discipled and all of that.
1: Yeah. I, I, so there's definitely things in that environment. So it's a joy to get to go to a conference and hear John Piper is your keynote speaker yeah. instead of some secular guy as your keynote speaker. There's awesome things about that. Uh, but yes, it doesn't inherently make it any easier to be a Christian there, nor inherently make it easier to enjoy your job there. Yeah. So I just think that's a a good reminder for all of us that that there's actually a lot of similarities. And again, we were a company, so it was also different in that regard. We were, by definition, needed to generate a profit uh, for what we were doing. Once, um, once we sold the business, I, um, got married. I took a little time to, uh, yeah, just kind of a mini retirement, if you will. And then you sold, Christianity.com to- sold Christianity.com to, uh, Salem communications, which yeah. is a, uh, owns a lot of Christian radio stations. And and they, I think, have continued to do a great job with that domain and that company and being faithful to the gospel and promoting good Christian content. So that was one of the most important criteria for us is, hey, if we're not going to steward this anymore, we want to make sure those who have a long-term vision will. So we're excited about that. Uh, And so then um, ended up uh, kind of dot com 2.0 now now you've got like not just getting people online but now people are starting to get social and starting to share and yeah. so I partnered up with some some other folks to start a crowdfunding platform and ours was around causes so we did crowdfunding for causes a platform called Razoo mm-hmm. and uh, Razoo is similar to Kickstarter similar to uh, some of these other sites out there just makes it really easy for people to raise money for the things they care most about. One of the things we kind of pioneered in that was what we called giving days. And so one of the interesting things about when you create a giving platform is uh, especially is there's not necessarily, especially in the donation space, there's nothing unique per se that you're offering because I can get a kind of a tax write-off anywhere. And so one of the things we pioneered was creating urgency around a single day of giving in a community. And so we launched different days around the country, around different themes and around different communities to say, imagine if everybody stayed really focused on this one day, helping all the causes in their area. And Hmm. so I would say there's literally thousands of causes that, that, uh, came through the platform.
0: Hey, I just want to take a moment here in the middle of the episode to tell you about today's sponsor, the Christian standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible captures the Bible's original meaning without compromising clarity. An optimal blend of accuracy and readability, this translation helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is for everyone, for readers, young and old, new and seasoned. It's a Bible pastors can preach from and a Bible you can share with your neighbor who's hearing God's Word for the very first time. Reading your Bible shouldn't feel like a chore learn more at csbible.com.
1: So after that, took another little professional sabbatical, if you will, little mini retirement. And uh, I just started getting really passionate about the faith and work topic, partially because I had I had both kind of theological questions I felt like were unanswered. So is it, is it more valuable in God's economy, for example, to do a ministry job over a secular job? I also would say I had just practical pastoring questions. Okay, to what extent can I, you know, is it ever possible for a sold-out Christian to, do they always have to settle for jobs that aren't going to be as, as good as other ones? I just had a lot of questions like that. And so I, thanks to an awesome wife, the blessing of my wife, spent about three months basically going to a Starbucks every day and writing and effectively just wanted to sort some ideas out on my own. Studied scripture, wrote, and and that ended up turning into a book that I ended up writing on uh, Christians in the workplace. Yeah. And you
0: were uh, an elder at this time, right? Yes, I was. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so, so you've been pastoring, and,
0: and I know that you were at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. That's a place where you know, you're not a board elder in a church like like Capitol Hill, you're actively involved in people's lives. Yeah,
1: that's a great point. And so a lot of my own, even this uh, angst I was feeling at the workplace was really just other people asking questions and all of us having kind of a conversation together. And as as I'm thinking as an elder, I'm trying to think also, how do I shepherd other people to think well about their work and to think well about where God has them? And so it wasn't simply a I need to figure things out on my own. It was very much in the context of just being a faithful member of a church and being an elder at that church and desiring that others also think well in, in biblical and in godly ways about their work. Yeah. And so so it was as I started writing and thinking, I thought, well, worst case scenario, it's just gonna help me with my own heart. It's also gonna help me with my discipling relationships. Hopefully it'll help with some teaching in the church, which it ended up doing. And, and only then did I even think like, well, maybe it can even go broader than that. So, but yeah, it was definitely, I want to help the members of this particular church think well about this topic. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the key takeaways as you sat and, and wrote and, and thought through it? I think the, the first takeaway was, you know, the, it's partially how we framed the book. I would say the first takeaway was just recognizing what are what are the heart issues going on? And we sort of framed it as... We're either we either make work an idol. So we we elevate our work above God in our discipleship, above the Lord. And so that leads to all kinds of problems. Our identity gets wrapped up in our work. Our yeah, our success gets wrapped up more in that than in our discipleship. And then the other danger, of course, is we are idle at work ideally. And in that one, we kind of see those things that are maybe spiritual as being more important than those things that are, quote, secular. We might, we might really care a ton about ministry things and not so much about work things. There's all kinds of ways we we do that. And effectively, what we're doing is our hearts are disengaging around being, again, disciples in our work. We're just kind of saying, ah, work's not really part of discipleship. And we'd say this, so, so that's kind of the first idea that we we have to recognize our hearts and the different pits that they're likely to fall in this making work an idol or being idle in work. And then I'd say the next big idea, if you will, the solution Obviously, it's the gospel, but even specifically a simple statement, which is who you work for is more important than what you do. And I think that is a profound takeaway because we are so prone to put the emphasis on the what we do. And even as Christians, we'd sort of think there's, you know, I'd I'd like to have this job over that job, or this is more spiritually beneficial than that. In all kinds of ways, we do this. But as a Christian, the absolute most unique thing about our job is not at all the what we do. That's not that unique. What's the most unique about it is who it is that we do it for. So the main difference between a Christian in the workplace and a non-Christian in the workplace is not the what they do, it's who it is that they're doing it for. And again, that's a simple idea but it has profound implications for all kinds of different different questions that come up in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think I've seen
0: so much and I've struggled with so much whether whether it's in ministry or in what I'm doing now is is keeping that sense of identity, you know, freed up and, and disentangled from the work itself and the success of the work itself, because um, you ride those emotional waves when things are good, and things are bad. Like things are good at work, things are good everywhere. Things are bad at work, things are things can be bad everywhere. And that's and that's some of that you know that tendency towards idolatry where yeah. it it takes over your whole life. What are some of the, the practical things? I mean, do you have practical kind of ways of thinking or practices that help people to sort of separate and get some distance from.
1: Well, and and I would say all the practical is going to flow out of, I think a good theology because the, the challenge is if your identity is getting wrapped up, getting around the axle of your work, I can give you a couple of tips, but at the end of the day, your heart still kind of wound up and your identity still wound up in your work. So I do think a deep understanding theologically, even something such as that we are as Christians called to be primarily sold out disciples of, of the Lord, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the number one command. Second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. So I think that just helps us separate out. Oh, so actually work is not the end-all be-all. Being a disciple of Jesus is the end-all be-all. And there's actually a number of different places where I'm trying to live that out. I'm trying to live that out in my own personal discipleship. I'm trying to live that out if I'm married. Then in my marriage and in, in my parenting, I'm trying to live that out in my church because obviously living as a disciple does mean being meaningfully involved in the church. And I'm definitely trying to live that out in the workplace as well. So even a framework like that helps us see, okay, I'm starting to get really imbalanced. And of these different ways that are good ways to be sold out as a disciple, why am I elevating this one so much higher than the others? And again, for some people that's church, they elevate way higher. So all things church are good, all things work are not as good. And for others of us, we do kind of the Church or work is the one that's kind of the elevated, and maybe family gets lower. But really, as Christians, we have to constantly be thinking, I want to be a sold-out disciple for the Lord. He's assigned me to these different things. I need to constantly, and by constantly, not like every five minutes, but like (laughs) have some regular rhythm of either personally or with an accountability partner thinking, in these different ways the Lord's called me, am I being faithful to all those assignments that he's given. I think that's a great exercise to go through with people just to kind of constantly gauge your heart and just see, see that you're doing that
0: and assess the whole, not just the, not just the individual parts of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. By,
1: by you can assess the parts, but put it in the context of the whole first. Yeah. Uh, The other, the other part I'd just say very practically, and it's again, it's going to, it's going to be a, is, is just another. So if, 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 who you work for is more important than what you do might be a theological summary. I would say a practical summary of how do you work faithfully would be push hard on the plow with an open hand. And what I mean by that is I think that if you have a good theology of work, you should be a very diligent, hardworking, you know work hard work smart kind of person because I do think if you work for the king, That is the type of service you should offer up to the king. You should do work that shows this is what my king is like. He's creative, he's hardworking, he cares about the people under him and be diligent about the work. But as Christians, we do all of that with an open hand. And an open hand simply means that we're kind of saying, hey, Lord, while you have me here, I'm gonna push hard on the work you've given me, but I'm I'm gonna at any time be okay if you take that work away from me if you make that work less successful than I want, if you call me to some other work in all these different ways, I just want to have an open hand about it. It doesn't mean I'm not pushing hard. It just really helps me, helps remind myself that as I push hard, I want to be careful not to tighten the grip mm-hmm. on the plow. So it's really, it's kind of like me being attached to that plow that matters more so than just doing that work faithfully for the king. Yeah. Do you think
0: there's, do you think there's tendencies one way or the other, uh, or general, general tendencies one way or the other amongst Christians to kind of fall on one side of that line or the other?
1: Well, when I, you know, again, when we talk about this idol or idol, I would say that the difficulty is I can see these things happening, happening simultaneously in my own life, right? I can both mm. be holding really tightly to something but also not going about the work in a Christian way, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say that's the worst of all worlds, right? When my identity starts to get wrapped up in what I'm doing and I'm forgetting what the Lord... I think I would say if there's gonna be a split, I've generally seen those who are just generally more ambitious and more um, kind of achiever types are generally gonna... The uh, idolatry of work is probably gonna be something they struggle with. And those who probably tend to be a little bit more... uh, you know, I'm more either relational or, or less, if you will, uh, all about the end results are probably going to fall a little bit in the IDLE category if there's going to be a tendency in either direction. But I, but I, I think the, the, the real issue is yes, we are prone to fall into both of them and even at different times in our lives.
0: Yeah. How, how
1: have you seen people respond to the book as it's come out? Yeah, they've been, I mean, I think encouraged. I mean, you never you never know. Yeah, people have been encouraged. We've also kind of put conferences on and I I do think it it's a real joy to me when people say, Your book has helped me be more faithful in the workplace because I I, I don't want Christians in the workplace wondering where does God have me? What's his calling on my life? Should I go into ministry? That seems better because emotionally in Christian cultures, we kind of give more props to it. It's like, no, I want people to be confident that the Lord has them where he has them and that what they're doing matters, not because necessarily they can see all the ways it's going to, quote, change the world, but because they are convinced that this is where the king has them right now. Mm -hmm. So that's where the king has them. They're going to work faithfully. So I've seen a lot of people encouraged by that message. I also have seen a lot of people encouraged by kind of sorting out that confusion that they have. Mm -hmm. and. I, I'm i very pro full-time ministry, just to be very clear. I think it's, you know, as a elder in a church, I just saw the blessing of godly pastors who are set aside for the full-time work. I think that's awesome. That's a huge calling, and I, I want to encourage that. But I don't want that to become the thing everybody aspires to in the Christian community because they just don't know there's other other kind of things that are also good. And so I see it as a joy when people say to me, you know, I was I was really confused about full time ministry, but now I see, wow, God's really wired me to do this really well. And mm-hmm. I'm so thankful I can do it faithfully as under the Lord without always kind of wondering and if there's some other thing I should be doing. So yeah. that's a real joy when people embrace sort of quote secular work and throw themselves into it for the king and understand why they're doing it and how they're doing it. Yeah.
0: Well, I think another thing that, that your life kind of models is that one doesn't have to be professional, full-time ministry uh, to be deeply invested in the church and in in the ministry. Um, I think a lot of people would say, "Okay, you're 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 doing this entrepreneurial work. You you uh, which which the assumption is that's hard, that's demanding, um, but you're also serving as a as a pastor in a meaningfully in a meaningful way." How did you find? How did you find balance? How did you find time?
1: What were the tensions around some of that? I would say it's a, There are there are tensions in that. I, I think part of it is just we have to recognize we're different people from each other. Just to start, some of us have higher capacity than others. Some of us have wives who need or don't need uh, different things, and children the same thing, and and just. So just to start with, I don't think it's good to look at, say, me or any other person and be like, I want to be able to do all that stuff or why can't they do this other stuff and just say all of us are going to be wired differently. I think by God's grace, He's just given me, I think, a little bit more energy and a little bit more capacity. So just in general, that question of balancing things is, is probably... And then honestly, being an entrepreneur, you you do have a pretty flexible lifestyle.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, being an entrepreneur, you need to be pretty disciplined around the things you do give your time to, but you definitely have some flexibility. And so for me, working in a breakfast, and I would just use meals, quite honestly, as as a main way or coffees in the afternoon. I know I'm going to be kind of tired at four o'clock, and I'm going to want to go get coffee. Why not just build in 45 minutes to try to connect with someone and spend time with them in a discipling way? Um, And then obviously elders meetings requires a wife and a family who recognize there's a trade-off there, and so you need to talk about that ahead of time. But, But I would say that the most important thing is, in my opinion, is recognizing what your capacities and your limits are how knowing what the responsibilities God's clearly put in your life, recognizing what do I have to do to be faithful in them? And then if I have additional margin, where should I best invest it? Yeah. And so for me, felt like, okay, I think by God's grace, I'm being faithful uh, you know, in God's word privately. I think I'm being faithful as a husband and father. I think I'm being faithful in being an entrepreneur. I mean, you can always technically work, but at some point you're like, Right, I, I'm only going to work this much, and then, and then it is even as a church member, and so my wife and I said, okay, can I also serve as an elder? Is that something? And we said, yeah, we think we can handle this, so let's go for it. Yeah. So. Uh, it requires not
0: moralizing capacity, which I think is something that that I think I've seen a lot of Christians struggle with. You know, the shoulds and oughts. You should be doing more. You ought to be doing more. You ought to be giving more. Um, you know, what you just described, what you just described requires a willingness to go. I can't and I shouldn't um, it's just not the way that God's wired me.
1: Well, it, I think a great exercise for people to do is take, for example, uh, and, and I'm going to assume for a second somebody's married. Take for, for a second that you have, say, $100. Are you better off using that $100 to go on a date with your spouse, to take your kids on a fun activity, to give it to the church, to give it to a missionary? Well, all those are awesome things to do with your money, right? And so I think wise living requires us to think, okay, given where I am in life right now, given different needs, which is the... Uh, and even how the Spirit's leading me, what's the best thing I can invest in right now? And then just trusting God that, you know what, these are all good things. I'm just going to pick one and, and trust that He has good purposes behind it. Yeah. And I think all four of those answers can be the right answer at that particular time. And so I just think even if we, that's just one discrete example with say a yeah. hundred extra dollars, but we're really just talking about that same set of choices on a, on a slightly bigger level. Yeah. How do I think wisely about how God's Wired me what opportunities he's put in front of me and where I should be investing my time and energy without necessarily thinking any one of those four is quote more spiritual than the other. They're all right. really good things that can honor and glorify God and bless other people. So wise living is okay. How do I then invest in one of those things? Yeah. Different answers for all of us. And I just think as Christians we need to be okay right. helping people think through yeah. uh, which one. Now, now again back to that example and say. Hey, is the reason you want to, and let's say I've put a fifth option now, which is like go golfing with the guys. Uh, you might say that's a great option sometimes, but then I might challenge you and say, Hey, you've been going golfing with the buddies like every single weekend. And I don't think you've ever talked about taking your family out. Maybe, yeah. maybe you are starting to kind of make one a bigger component than the other. And we need to talk about that. That's, I would say, is how we want to think through different, different yeah. things going on in, in our lives. And what
0: it means to be the church is to have some of those kind of accountability and You know, the other thing that comes to mind as you say that, too, is I say this all the time when when I'm talking to people about how people consume pop culture. I think there's a lot of liberty in the kinds of things we can read and watch and all of that kind of stuff. But no one has no one has the liberty to do so thoughtlessly. And I think there's something there's a parallel here that whatever it is that you're called to do with your life, there's a ton of liberty in terms of what that might be and how you invest yourself. Um, But doing so thoughtlessly is is extremely dangerous.
1: And and I think that's a great example using that pop culture because there's probably a chunk of pop culture that all of us as Christians would say is probably out of bounds. Sure. Right. Let's just say we don't really have to analyze that a whole lot. It just seems like it does not line up with scripture. Right. And then, then there's a whole range of other things that (laughs) was different. There's 50 shades of gray. And then there's twilight, you know? (laughs) And and different consciences are going to think differently on those matters. Right. And so, so, yeah, we need to help shepherd people in thinking through that. Same thing I'd say in the workplace. We just need to be very careful as Christians that, yes, I do think there's some work that you could put out of the bounds. I think it's actually a pretty small set, but, you know, drug dealer. other than (laughs) pharmacist, but you know what I mean? Sure, (laughs) sure. Probably out of the bounds. But then within the bounds, there's so much freedom. And so let's try to help each other rather than, you know, help. And I just think we create a culture sometimes where we do create a bit of a hierarchy of, in our cases, I think it's more spiritual to less spiritual or more for the kingdom and less for the kingdom. And I'm sort of like, man, let's just get everyone focused on doing their work for the king. (laughs) If people are doing their work for the king with excellence... Uh, looking to love others as they do it trusting him that where he's put them is where they are right now Though they can always have the freedom to consider something else that's, that's kind of I think one of the major thrusts that, that I always try to get across to people and, yeah. and I think it's just going to create a richer Christian culture in general as well the book I started another company in real estate actually we uh, me and a, another another guy from Princeton started a company around tools for real estate agents and brokers and so we, we built that company up it was for those of you who are entrepreneurs and familiar with lean methodology it was it was kind of a textbook. By God's grace, kind of a textbook implementation of some of that, where we mm-hmm. tested some hypotheses, we, we you know we did a lot of customer development, we ended up building a prototype, hustling that prototype to get initial customers, realized we had something pretty special, and then and then started to scale it up as we uh, as we you know sort of built up the team as well, and then uh, about a year and a half after we started that, it got acquired by a larger real estate company called Realtor.com. So that was what we did next. Oh, that's great. And then is that from there you went to the IMB? Yeah. So from there, uh, so when we got acquired, I kind of went with that company and I was then part of a very large company. And and as that was all happening, again, I'm still very involved in my church, doing a lot of ministry, thinking a lot about missions, thinking a lot about uh, getting the gospel out, uh, helping with some of our business platforms overseas. And during that time, Uh, The IMB, which our church was always very friendly with, the International Mission Board, which is the Southern Baptist Mission Sending Agency, uh, went and got a new president, David Platt. And David and I had gotten to know each other actually through the writing of my book and some of the conferences. He wrote the foreword for it. And so we had known each other. And so as he was stepping into the, the role as president, he knew my background as a consultant and as an entrepreneur and as an elder in a church who thought carefully. And so he asked me to just begin by joining him as he, he really stepped into the role. He wanted to spend as much time as he could getting to know the organization, thinking about it, and obviously building a plan before he did anything. And so I, I kind of came alongside to help him do that. And, and we, we just ended up working incredibly well together and uh, he asked me to step into a full-time role, which I did about three Mm -hmm. years ago. So I've been working at the IMB for about three years. You
0: mentioned business platforms. Uh, I mentioned some of our listeners don't know what what
1: that phrase means. Yeah, so so when you think about missions, I think everybody thinks about the fully funded missionary who might be going to the edge or going to kind of the more extreme places. There are, uh, and that's absolutely something we as the IMB does and will continue to do, but increasingly as there are more global cities, as uh, as worlds are more connected, and, and even as technology limits the ability for us to send people to different places, uh, we have started to use probably more deliberately business platforms or businesses themselves to be the means by which people go into countries and kind of develop tentacles into the community. Uh, so business businesses themselves, as well as professional opportunities. And mm-hmm. so as the IMB, we're working very hard to supplement all of our fully funded full-time uh, missionaries with those who come through business either by starting businesses or joining existing businesses. Hmm. And so it's uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. And so I love to be a part of us as an organization trying to think how do we increase our missionary force and increase the ways people join our missionary force. Mm-hmm. Other examples of some of those businesses and ways that they're working
0: that you can share?
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, one one business is you know if if you're in in the Southern Baptist world uh, and you go to a Lifeway store, there'll be an opportunity to buy coffee from Kingdom Growers. Well, Kingdom Growers is coffee that is sourced through actually some of our people on the field, hmm. and so they're on the field and they are effectively coffee farmers. And they're also in those communities, not just as coffee farmers, but as, as gospel proclaimers and as, as missionaries. And so there's an example of they are there, enabled to be there by a business platform. And then we're able to actually take that platform and turn it into a business that provides a great good and service for people as well as generates money yeah. uh, back through that. So that's one example. Well, and it's generating jobs on the ground. Yeah,
0: and helping the local economies as well.
1: And it's and I would say this, you know, our people obviously we all know business is about revenue generation. If you don't generate revenue, you're not going to stay in business. But but business is also about relationship generation. And so if you want to have relationships with a lot of people, go into business because you just will end up with all kinds of relationships. Everything from accountants and attorneys to investors on one side to customers and prospects and uh, you know employees on the other side. And so there's just a myriad of relationships that flow out of a business. And I would even argue the better your business does, the more relationships you actually get to have. And so I don't see, again, if you're operating a business in a godly way, if you're you're looking to honor God with it, there's no conflict at all in my mind between doing good business and building relationships for the sake of the gospel. I think they're very intertwined together. First he sings and then he goes it means it's hard to know
0: thanks for listening you can get the gospel at work anywhere books are sold it's a great book and i highly recommend it go to cultivatedpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter share about us on social media and leave a review on the itunes store it really helps us out and helps new people find the show Cultivated is a production of Harbor Media and Narrativo. You can learn more about us at narrativogroup.com. We make podcasts. This episode was produced and mixed by me. It was edited by Quinnette Connor. Special thanks to Lucas Noggle for making this interview happen. Our music is by Roman Candle. Additional music is from Dan Phelps. We'll be back in two weeks, and this episode's going to be big. I went to Atlanta, and I talked to Lecrae. You won't want to miss it. See you then.